let's dive in. Welcome back to True Crime Trine. It's a podcast where the planets align and three plus or minus one friends come and talk about true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit we can fit into this podcast. We are your host, Hannah. Not Sarah. Meredith. Welcome to episode 64. Perfect. Love it. In case you haven't noticed, Sarah's not here. Seems pretty obvious. I think she's still in Michigan. So far, she has not said she has seen a Sasquatch. Bigfoot. Whatever they call it in Michigan. So I think they call them Canadians up there. I was going to say, besides her boyfriend, because he's really tall, but he's not really hairy. So, And he does not have prominent breasts. Hi, Kirk. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, 64, I got Andy back again. Me and Meredith are both trying to write half scripts, so we would do one episode. Physically impossible for either of us to write a half script, so we are doing two episodes with Andy. Yay! Any housekeeping? I do. We have a pretty strong uptick in our Australian listeners, so hello to them. Hello! Oh, no, I was at Ahoy. Um, <laughs> what do they say in Australia? Hi, I guess. <laughs> I'm sure they use hi. I'm sure they use Hi. <laughs> they speak English. Ah, uh, yes. They might say cheers. Ah. Also, I talked to a Mormon, oh. or a former Mormon. I had reiterated Sarah's comparison of Mormons to like a gorilla harem. And so <laughs> he commented that not so much these days, but definitely back in the old days. And then he had a couple recommendations for some interesting internet sleuthing or reading if anyone is interested. Okay. Um, so the first one was why Mitt Romney's dad couldn't run for president. Yes. Oh, this is a good one. You filled me in a little bit and it was pretty interesting. Oh, it's fascinating. Also, cartels in Mexico versus Mormon families. I haven't also heard about that. Let's see here. Another interesting topic that some late night sleuthing might be advantageous. Is there a, an official term for a former Mormon? I don't know. Is there? That's for a good mom, question. For Foreman. Foreman. <laughs> a foreman? <laughs> Not foreman, but a foreman. George Foreman. Foreman. Let's see here. Okay, because I also have a story more about the fundamentalist Mormons and some murder. Oh, interesting. Then research the cartel stuff, because I guess it's pretty brutal. That sounds crazy. Well, a lot of the fundamentalist stuff is more out in the middle of nowhere, kind of closer to the Mexican border and Mormon families. So did you guys have an episode that involved Australia? Yeah. Oh, so that's where they came from. Just one, you think? Or I can't remember now. We have 64 episodes. Well, Sarah did The Sketchy Catch and then you did Total Douchebag. Eric Edgar Cook. Yes. Our first two-parter. Mm-hmm. That was a decent one. That was a really, really good one. <laughs> I was like, I guess I could prank myself. That was a good one. Pat on the back. It was excellent. <laughs> all right. Awesome. That's exciting. Yeah. That was all I had for housekeeping. I think I have nothing. Exmo is what a former Mormon Exmo. That's not bad. This is for Pearl. My dream job is not having a job, so... 
Yes. There's that. <laughs> There's that. Then I could devote all my time to this podcast that doesn't make any money. Yeah, that'd be great. Now you know, Mom. <laughs> I have housekeeping. Oh, okay. yes, tell us. I submitted like 12 different photos of my dog and it's still not on the website yet. You sent them to me after I had finished updating the website. So we'll, we'll get on this weekend. That's a lie. <laughs> it is not. Okay. There are some very cute pictures of Lucy. Awesome. And one action shot. <laughs> <laughs> is she pooping? Yes. <laughs> As from yesterday, it was probably three weeks since I sent you the other pictures, and I was thinking maybe she needs a different one since she never updated it. It was two days ago. Basically three weeks. <laughs> I'll say the one about Lucy pooping fits more with uh, plans are optional. We don't talk about poop quite as much on True Crime Yeah, but you brought it up last week. Yeah, well, mm -hmm. I didn't say we never talk about it. Yeah, it's more burping, I think, or audible toots. <laughs> yes, when you listen to the next uh, POW episode, Meredith, you'll hear all about the burping. All right. Good to know. <laughs> it was memorable, apparently. Yeah, so that's, I got nothing. Let's do this. What I have for you tonight is a little bit different, and I wanted to find a story that would be interesting for Andrew, and a few topics came to mind, and this one is a bit of a departure for me, but when I found it, I thought, yep, this is the one. For tonight, we are going to head to Danbury, Connecticut, which is only about 15 minutes from Newtown, Connecticut, where I brought you the Richard Crafts, the wood chipper oh, litter yeah. in episode 11. That so one. not too far away. Brutal. However, tonight will be less gruesome. I've got fun facts about Connecticut, because doesn't everyone love facts? I love facts. I know nothing about Connecticut. Connecticut became the fifth state in the U.S. on January 9th of 1788. Beer drink. <laughs> the Hartford Current is the oldest U.S. newspaper still in publication. It started a weekly publication on October 29th of 1764, so Damn. even before statehood. And then Wilbur Scoville was born on January 22nd, 1865 in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And he was an American pharmacist that created the Scoville scale in 1912 to oh, cool. measure pungency, spiciness, or heat of different chili peppers. I was going to ask. I was too. Oh. You've ruined all our questions, Meredith. Continue. You're so prepared. And Connecticut is also the home of the prestigious college, Yale University. Blah. Prestige is stupid. Don't buy into it. Okay. It is also the home of ESPN. Oh, okay. And in Connecticut, it is illegal to keep town records where liquor is sold. <laughs> Smart. So you just can't, like, sell liquor out of, like, City Hall or something? Pretty much, yeah. Anyways, those are some fun facts for you guys about Connecticut. I love a good weird law. We should do an episode on weird laws. Ooh, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to bring on Thursday. We'll see. <laughs> the story that I have for you is of James, or Jimmy, Galante. And I will be referring to him as Jimmy, throughout the script, and the Danbury Trashers, which were a minor league professional ice hockey team in the now defunct UHL or the United Hockey League. And it is a low-level minor professional ice hockey league with teams in the U.S. as well as Canada. So before we jump in, as another hockey aficionado, I have a hockey lingo quiz for you, Andrew. Oh, golly. I was like, wait, do I have to play? Yeah, you do. I'm going to anyway. Yeah. So I'm going to say the slang term and then you tell me what I'm referring to. So 
The first one is barn. Let's have Hannah answer first. Okay. I'm going to say the place where all the players sit when they're off the ice. Okay. Andrew? It's the their home arena or an arena. Oh. Ding, ding. It is. I was just thinking about taking the cows back to the barn or something. <laughs> I liked your answer a lot better. <laughs> all right. We've got Bender. Okay. And hockey. Well, I mean, I'm going to just go with playing hockey blackout drunk. That's a good one. Oh, Bender, Bender, Bender. You know, I don't know if I know what a Bender is officially here. Okay. Well, a Bender is a hockey player who can't skate very well. And, it, oh, and me. they're called Benders because of their ankle strength. I'm a Bender. Hannah's a Bender. <laughs> Why are they on the team? When, when's the last time you guys went ice skating? I went ice Never. skating exactly one time. And I was forced to when I was in fifth grade as a field trip. I took Caitlin ice skating this, this past winter. And you know how they have walkers for old people? <laughs> yes. They also have them for people that can't skate. They do? Yeah. That's cool. Okay, because the last time I went, you just had to hug the wall the whole time. She started doing that. And then on her second way around, someone handed her one. She's like, yes. All right. Technology <laughs> has improved since I was in fifth grade. <laughs> That's super cool. <laughs> I love it. So up next, we have Biscuit. The puck. Good job. She got it. Ding, 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 ding. Watch a little hockey. The bucket. The goal? Nope. Okay. Andrew? The bucket. Oh. Is that their helmet? It is. Oh. Ding, ding, ding. All right. So don't put the biscuit in the bucket. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So next up, I have Clapper. Clapper. I know where Hannah's mind is going on this. Do you? <laughs> I tried not to go there. I tried to be okay. <laughs> I'm going to say clapper is the hockey stick. I want to say it's a hard check. Okay. It is a slap shot resulting in a goal. Oh. I've never heard that. I don't know if that's real. Well, it may be different in different barns, right? Oh, fair, fair. Fair. And for the record, I was going butt cheek related for a while. Oh, nope. Was not Were thinking Were you thinking about balls? No. What was Andy thinking about? I thought you'd go straight for the clap. That came up third, so I... I just went through the cycle of butt cheeks, balls, chlamydia, like it was a whole thing. Okay. So if someone dusts it off. Uh, they like hit it dumbly and it like flies over the ice and it glides over the ice. <laughs> I don't know. These are good guesses. Yeah. Yeah. It's like one of those things I probably heard to never think about it. I kind of have to go with Hannah's and instead of actually like. Thinking of something else. Just totally missing it. Okay. When you dust it off, it's when your defenseman quickly stick handles the puck and then dishes it off to a teammate. Dust it off. Oh. Okay. If I said face wash. Is that a face off? No. Okay. Well, what is it, Andy? It's <laughs> when you get sprayed by ice. Okay. From a hockey stop. Usually. All right. Fair. It's actually an aggressive move when... The opposing player sticks their gloves palm first all the way into the opponent's face. Oh, I liked Andy's answer better. I did too. What would you call that then? Just a snow shower? Snow shower. There's a lot I of different like nomenclature here. Sure. But this is my list. So oh, fine. we're doing this. <laughs> yes. Next up, we've got the five hole. The penalty box. Nope. Oh, damn it. I thought I actually nailed that one. I guess I only did two minutes. Five holes when you uh, score between the goalie's legs. Ding, ding, ding. Very good. Okay. <laughs> what about Flamingo? What? 
when your skate falls off. <laughs> Close. <laughs> I'm a, Maybe. Yeah, I'm going to have to stick with Hannah on that one, unless it's something from Danbury. It's when a player lifts their leg to avoid blocking a shot. They flamingo. go. Oh, that makes sense. More sense than the skate coming off. That seems difficult. Yeah, but if the skate comes off, you don't want to... Like, you have to flamingo, too. You got to flamingo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do. <laughs> if a player were to lay the lumber... They, like, bump somebody else into the boards. Yeah, I guess it's a hard check. Slashing. Slashing? Slashing? Mm-hmm. Is that why you just whack them with the pole? With the stick. With the stick. <laughs> I do enjoy watching hockey. I know something. <laughs> it's so fun. Honestly, that doesn't sound as bad. It sounds more like a hard check. So I understand why they say laying lumber. Yeah. Traditionally, sticks were made out of wood. But mm-hmm. I think when someone says laying lumber, I think football, and which is a big hit. And so I okay. went with a hard check again, and I was wrong. I don't think you should right. ever agree with any of my guesses, Andy. They, it hasn't worked out. <laughs> Anna, you're very convincing. Awesome. Give me a job. Okay. <laughs> I have a podcast you can edit. Yeah, <laughs> I do too. Does it come with uh, health insurance? I will send you a box of Band-Aids. Well, if you send me a box of uh, antidepressants, that would work better. Mm, beer? Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Close it. Close it up. Okay, so this one should be easy. Light the lamp. Is there like a little like siren on the back of the net that like goes off when you like make a goal or something? Ding, ding. Okay. Because yeah. you said it was going to be easy and I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. How about ride the pine? Is that a really hard check into the board? God damn it. Penalty box. Nope. Bench. Yes. Okay. It's when you warm the bench. You uh, ride the pine. You put all the benders there. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Learning. All right. This one should be easy. Sin bin. Is that the penalty box? Yay. Okay. Ding, ding, ding. One of these has to be the penalty box. Well, now you can't use it on the next one. I know. It could have multiple names. So I got three more. The last one is one that I actually learned, which I think is hilarious. But so I've got these two. If I said top cheese or cheddar. (laughs) Well, I'm just going to go with uh, someone that doesn't clean their pads out very much. And so they start to smell. Like cheese. Like cheese. (laughs) Dick cheese. Okay. It's getting, getting it over the goalie's mitt for a goal. So it's actually when the shot goes in or off right below the crossbar. Cheddar? Usually above the goalie's mitt. Well, yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Ding, ding. <laughs> I want more That's enthusiasm very... with your ding, ding on that was that a very one, begrudging okay? ding, ding. All right. Then get this one. Turtle. When a player falls down on his back and can't get up. <laughs> very close. I, w- I want to say they're in the course of a fight getting your jersey pulled over your head. Oh, that makes sense. So close, but it's actually when a player covers himself up to avoid fighting and kind of drops to the ice. He's a turtle. Okay. Or she's that. a turtle. Yeah, who does that? Some people Where did you procure your list from, Meredith? Multiple sources. You can request them if you email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. <laughs> And this one, the final one, this one actually was new to me, but I absolutely love it. So if I said, where mama keeps the peanut butter. Uh, just, my mind doesn't go anywhere good with that one. Where mama keeps the peanut butter. <laughs> How does it go anywhere bad? Where does your mama keep the peanut butter, Hannah? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, where mama keeps the peanut butter. So first thought was pantry. But- I'm trying to think. Is is this just in re- in regards to concessions? Nope. Mm-hmm. That's entirely too obvious. Well, her mama keeps the peanut butter in the refrigerator, so it's the rink itself. That's a good guess, but no. Is it oh the locker room? No. I'll just give it to you. Like- it is a goal that is scored in the uppermost part of the net. That's where mama where keeps, mama her keeps peanut the peanut butter. Mm-hmm. Oh. So Hi, like Morris. same thing as cheddar? Kind of. Have you ever had a cheese and peanut butter sandwich? You can't that get higher the- than hitting the crossbar. Well, that's true. I'm going to say a cheddar and peanut butter sandwich is going to be our pairing of the food pairing for this podcast. Okay. I've had a peanut butter pickle sandwich, but not cheddar. I've never tried it, but I got both. I've had neither. I want neither. I like peanut butter pickles. Those are good. Peanut butter and pickles, like, it's that sweet, creamy peanut butter, and then you get the salty, briny pickle. I do love that combination. Would you ever, like, drill through a pickle lengthwise? And stuff it with peanut butter? Or is that too much work? It might be too much work. Peanut butter doesn't seem very good at like piping either. Like trying to get it down. You have to smoosh it in there. Uh, That's way too much work. No, I think I'd probably just put some peanut butter on a plate and like scoop. That doesn't make for good presentation. What if you have guests over? If I had guests over, I'd be giving them something better than peanut butter. I'm serving up my my famous peanut butter infused pickles, guys. And they'll never come over again. Yay. <laughs> it might work. <laughs> what if you covered the pickle in peanut butter and then froze it? Oh, I've never tried a frozen pickle. You think, would you break your tooth? I haven't gone to the dentist in like 10 years. I'm not going to risk this one. Yeah, nah. Yeah, well, you know. All right. Well, let's get back to it. You may be thinking, what type of crime would this story bring? So we have Jimmy Galante and the Danbury Trashers. Trashers, not thrashers. Trashers. I love it. Like trash panda. Love it. What was that Olympian that put a hit on another Olympian? Is this like this? Nope. I, I'm only thinking that because ice. Oh, that was the skaters. That was yeah, yeah. Tanya Harding and oh, that's the name. oh yeah, Nancy Kerrigan. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen I Tanya, it's a very good movie about that oh, okay. very specific thing. Sorry, when you said a hit, I thought somebody put out like a murder hit and like i do not recall that happening at all no, it was a hit it just wasn't it was like, an actual hit well it was an actual hit but it wasn't like meant to kill her just you know take her out of the competition yes okay uh so a uh, hockey player and crime they run an illegal beers. cheese shop oh we are so cold on this one guys <laughs> it is rico oh oh is he part of a part of a family? Well, I'll get to that in a little bit. Well, don't ask me and then hold back. I will move forward. But <laughs> so we're going to talk about Rico, which is the Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act of 1970, which I mostly only know about from a rap song. But okay, well, you'll learn a little bit more. That's really nice. So first, in order to be convicted under the United States Code, Title 18, Chapter 96, Section 1961. Love the law. (laughs) The government must prove that you have engaged in two or more instances of a racketeering activity and that you directly invested, maintained an interest, or participated in a criminal enterprise that affects interstate or foreign commerce. 
Can we have a definition for racketeering? So we'll kind of get there. Okay. But it should be noted that in order to be prosecuted for the larger RICO crime, a RICO claim is often made and the prosecutor will seek to establish prior criminal activity. And a RICO claim cannot exist without criminal activity. Prior criminal activity? Prior. So we could do some RICO right now? And they can't arrest us? Well, they would document it properly. Okay. It's like one of those words that I've heard a bajillion times, but I don't actually have a definition for. Racketeering is a dishonest and fraudulent business dealing. Okay. So there are 35 crimes which can be considered rackets. Oh, I see. I just got that. A racket, like I said, is this dishonest service, which is predicated by a need, which has been created by those that are offering the solution. Are pyramid schemes a type of racketeer? But again, for like RICO specific, they would have to have these other crimes, two or more of these other crimes. And we'll talk about these in a little bit. So we can't really like get lays for not filling the entire chip bag? No. But they do cross state lines. Hmm. That's true. But in simpler terms, a racket or racketeering is an illegal scheme. Racketeering crimes can include murder, murder for hire, Ah. kidnapping, extortion, cyber extortion, (laughs) arson, robbery, bribery. That one makes sense. Mm -hmm. Counterfeiting. That one too. Theft. Embezzlement. Embezzlement of union funds. Specifically. Mm-hmm. The union's mad. Fraud, which includes tax fraud, securities fraud, all kinds of fraud. Lots of fraud. Which this next one is a little disturbing, uh, or actually the next two are a little bit disturbing, and I didn't know this was a part of the RICO statute, but human trafficking and then slavery. Yeah. And then they also have drug dealing, drug trafficking, and then, of course obstruction of justice so all the crimes basically so a violation of rico happens when you in connection with an enterprise engage in a pattern of racketeering activities there is a statute of limitations though so a rico claim must be filed within five years of discovering that criminal activity so they will probably just start documenting these things to build that larger rico case and that's often oh yeah what happens true also because they're dealing with organizations they're going to be doing a lot of documentation because there's a lot of players in different organizations so this is going to be a really big case by the feds and then tct tip because we always like to throw those out there if you find yourself facing rico charges hire a fucking lawyer a really good fucking lawyer Well, so one of my students today came to class wearing a shirt that basically just said, you do not have to talk to the police. Okay. (laughs) And on the back, it was like your local public defender or something. But (laughs) I was like, damn, I like it. It's like a door prize from the the public defender. Yeah. I was like, I like it. Let's talk about Jimmy Galante. Jimmy Galante. Jimmy was born on January 5th of 1953. So he is a Capricorn. Damn. And He was born in the Bronx, New York, and I'm going to do a little bit of astrology at the end of this, and we can talk a little bit later about the characteristics 
of a Capricorn and how they relate to Jimmy. So Jimmy was one of five children born to Anthony and Catherine Galante, and the family would eventually move from the city to a rural town called South Salem in New York to raise their family. There really wasn't a ton of information about his childhood other than there was just a bunch of them and they <laughs> lived rurally. So there you go. In 1971, Jimmy graduated from John Jay High School in Cross River, New York. Jimmy then joined the Air Force, and he served in Delaware, Florida, and then overseas in Thailand until he was honorably discharged in 1975. Around this time, Jimmy would marry Roseanne DiNardo, and Jimmy started working for Cross Country Sanitation in New York. It wouldn't take very long for Jimmy's entrepreneurial spirit to kick in. So... After being denied a raise by his employer, Jimmy started his first company, which was Countywide Carding. It's a sanitation business. In May of 1979, Jimmy would start Automated Waste Disposal, or AWD, as I will refer to it for the rest of the episode. And this would be the start of Jimmy's trash empire. Oh, that's why they're the trashers. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. So Jimmy shut, shut, he shut up his shop. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Fuck. Okay, let me finish this beer and open another one. I'll help. Okay. So Jimmy set up shop in Danbury, Connecticut. Hence Danbury Trashers. Trashers. So automated waste disposal, AWD, would grow considerably over the years. And Jimmy owned about 25 different trash disposal businesses. And altogether, AWD handled 80% of all garbage hauling in southern and western Connecticut, and then in Westchester and Putnam counties in New York. Trash empire. Mm-hmm. Trash lord. Trash lord. AWD had been accused of muscling out competition, and it was alleged that Jimmy and AWD were connected with the Genovese crime family of New York. There it is. Specifically, Matthew Matty the Horse Ionello. <laughs> Matthew Matty the Horse Ionello? Uh-huh. Sounds like a baseball player. Do we know why he's it called kinda does. Matty the Horse? I don't know. Okay. I don't necessarily want to know. But uh, there could be a variety of reasons. I just, oh. one comes to mind, and I don't really want to talk about that. So, anyways, part of these allegations <laughs> suggested that due to Jimmy's business practices, municipalities, businesses, and residents of these areas were paying inflated rates for disposal services. While the business was booming, Jimmy and AWD gained a notable fan. Can you guess who? Rudy Giuliani. Nope. Uh, the horse? Nope. <laughs> the horse. <laughs> Any horse. <laughs> the FBI. Oh, that kind of fan. Mm-hmm. Hi, Teddy. Hey. <laughs> In 1980, charges were brought against AWD for nine alleged state tax violations, and AWD was fined for four of those violations, but Jimmy was acquitted. Okay. Jimmy was quite well-known around town, and rumors circled about his alleged connections with the mob. Jimmy was still a pillar of the community for most folks. A local businessman, Andy Paprosky, owned a dry cleaning business, said, quote, People thought, 
you know what? He may be caught up in some questionable activities, but he's good to the town. He's a good guy. Jimmy was very generous with his money and his time, and he paid scholarships. He donated to the Danbury Hospital, which got a pediatric suite named after the family. That's nice. Mm -hmm. He donated $2 million to the new Fairfield School District to build a new field for the high school. It was named Galante Field until it was renamed to Rebel Field, which was their mascot in 2008. And he even paid funeral expenses for a local soldier who was killed in Iraq and also donated $200,000 to a nonprofit that provides financial assistance to soldiers serving overseas. Good guy, gangster. He was very, very generous. I did find out about Maddie the Horse. Okay. And it's totally fine. And you were very close, Andy. He got his nickname during a youth baseball game. Okay. And during one game, the opposing pitcher threw a hard pitch into the face of the batter. A fight erupted. Maddie the horse knocked down the pitcher, who was older and taller than he was. And after this, somebody was like, that boy is strong as a horse. And he was Maddie the horse ever since. You do one thing one time, and you're named that for the rest of your life. It's a very innocuous nickname, though. <laughs> Could have been worse. Are you going back to butt cheeks? No, I'm more to front cheeks, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, as I opened it, it was basically, the first part of Wikipedia was like, he controls the lucrative sex industry. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh. Then it was all all about his baseball days as a child. So So, let's not get too mushy about Jimmy because he was not to be fucked with. It was said that he ran his business, much like I run my house, with an iron fist. (laughs) Gotta crack a few eggs to make an omelet. There you go. Why he became a trash lord. So we are going to backtrack a little bit and we are going to talk about Jimmy as a family man because the the Trashers would be a family business or a family endeavor. So Jimmy and Roseanne had moved to a beautiful home and I did do some property research on this and it was gorgeous in New Fairfield, Connecticut, which was just about five miles outside of Danbury. And they would have two children, and there is not a ton of information on their daughter, Candace, but their son, AJ, and I'm assuming this is Anthony James, right? Because his dad's name's James, his grandfather's name was Anthony. So AJ was a big part of the Danbury Trashers. Jimmy and Roseanne welcomed their son, AJ, on August 14th of 1987. There is a documentary on Netflix that you can watch about the Danbury Trashers. It's really good. It doesn't go a lot into the Rico crimes, but it does talk a lot about the Trashers. It mentions the underlying FBI case and stuff like that. But it's, I mean, it's a decent watch. If you watch the documentary... What stands out to me is the overwhelming sense of pride and love that Jimmy has for his son. So not only did he know AJ's date of birth, but he knew the exact time. And you could just see him like visibly like prideful about this moment. Was the daughter born first or second? I don't know. I couldn't find her birthday I doubt he remembers her birth time. Maybe not. I don't know. I think that maybe they wanted to keep her life a little bit more private because she wasn't really involved in any of the ongoing stuff. So, yeah. But yeah, just not a lot of information about Candace. So Jimmy in the documentary says, quote, I can't explain it. 
AJ, the love of my life, end quote. That's a bit much. But you just get this feeling like this is his son. This is like, I mean, he's so proud of his son. And so it was really important for Jimmy to be present and participate with his children because his father worked two jobs to support that family of seven, right? They've got their son in total. And he was almost never home. So it was really, really important for Jimmy to be present in a big part of his children's lives. And I can respect that. Jimmy said, quote, I want to give him a life that is better than I had, end quote. And he did. He doted on his children. And he also had the means, right? He has yeah. this very successful business. And so there were times that he showered the children with extravagant gifts and experiences, such as AJ's 10th birthday, where Jimmy paid WWE wrestlers The Rock, Triple H, and China to come to the party. Damn, 10th birthday. So this was like 90s. This was like 97, I guess. He was born in 87. That's, that's the Attitude Era. Yep. I had that video game. In 1992, the movie The Mighty Ducks came out. Oh yeah, I love that movie. <laughs> Emilio Estevez. I mean, I haven't seen it in years, but I love that movie. So the movie comes out and AJ's watching this and he is like, I want to play hockey. Okay, so AJ's a kid in this, not like... Well, he's like five at this point. At this point, yeah. So Jimmy was not a hockey fan. He was a football fan. But because his son loved hockey, he encouraged AJ to participate in hockey and Being the supportive, loving dad, Jimmy made sure to take him to all the practices and to all the games. And if you have ever had anyone in your life that plays sports as a kid or a team sport, it can be very time consuming. Sorry, mom. (laughs) It's nice to see this like genuine and loving side of Jimmy when he talks about his son, AJ. And like I said, you could almost see the pride just gleaming in his eyes. And I can't be mad at him for this. But you know who was mad? Candace. Nope. Oh. Well, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) We just don't know anything about Candace. Ding, ding, ding. The FBI. They have a lot of, like, father issues. I guess so. In 1999, Jimmy was facing several charges, but he opted to a plea deal And he pled guilty to filing a false tax return, and he was sentenced to one year and one day in prison. So he had to go away for a little while. And during his incarceration, AJ took it really hard. And he still spent a lot of time on the ice, but this is really where he would start to kind of vent frustrations. And he Mm. kind of became this kind of tough guy, this bruiser. And he really started to enjoy like the negative attention that being super aggressive on the ice brought. So I'm going to say, I guess if you do want to give your child the best life, you probably shouldn't be living a life of crime. Probably not. (laughs) This is just tax form. All right. I know. And look how mad it made his kid. It was just tax fraud. Calm down, AJ. Oh, it wasn't so much of the crime that his dad committed. Yeah. It was the fact that his dad wasn't there. And he was used to his dad being there. Like, fully present. So, you know, I I mean, I get it. So he was spoiled. He was spoiled. Yeah, he he was. Did you hear about his 10th birthday party? (laughs) 
So AJ kind of comes across as a little bit arrogant. Spoiled. Well, a lot of people in the documentary refer to him as a punk, almost. Sounds like a little punk. But what AJ had, though, was this complete and total passion for hockey. Okay. Jimmy served his time, and he was released on September 1st of 2000. The FBI holds grudges, though. (laughs) So they kept a very close eye on Jimmy, and all was quiet on the home front, at least for now, and Jimmy returned to reign over his trash empire. In 2004, during... AJ's senior year, he suffered a severe knee injury that would end his hockey career completely. And AJ called it a helmet popper or a bucket popper, as we learned earlier. And it was absolutely devastating for AJ to learn that he was not going to be able to play hockey anymore. So, WWJD, what would Jimmy do? (laughs) Lash out. Not you, Jesus. Not in this case. (laughs) Jimmy bought a franchise in the United Hockey League. He's so spoiled. <laughs> in April of 2004. So what does it cost to buy a franchise? Most places said 500000 There's a few that said 300000 Either way, Jimmy referred to it as, quote, a rounding error, end quote. Uh, okay. It should be noted that at this time, AWD was worth approximately $100 million. $100 million. Yeah, okay, I guess he has the funds. He does. So Jimmy retained the rights as an owner, but at the age of 17, he made AJ the general manager. Seven. This fucking kid, man. So the name of the team to pay tribute to AWD was the Danbury Trashers, and their mascot was a trash can named Scrappy, which I love. Oh, that's so cute. But can you imagine coming to play hockey and your manager's some mouthy little 17-year-old? Well, it's not like the coach. The manager's more uh, like front office. That sounds like an even worse place to put him. <laughs> but but there's going to be, there's there's disconnect, like they have a buffer of the coaches. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But when it comes to like con- contractual obligations, which they probably have, you would be dealing with a snot-nosed 17-year-old, so that would suck. I wouldn't know what to do with a contract when I was 17, or now. The cool thing is, is that AJ took this super serious, though, but he still is this young, arrogant kind of kid. But Jimmy really wanted the Trashers to be successful, so he poured money into the team. The Danbury Ice Arena would become the home of the Trashers, and Jimmy had it remodeled. The cost was about $1.5 million. Some sources indicate that it may have been upwards of $3 million. Jesus. It expanded the original 750-seat rink to a 3,000-seat rink with a tricked-out skybox for the owner. And Jimmy also wanted to make sure that the Trashers players would have pretty much everything that they needed. And he also purchased a very, very nice team bus for them and that was that was also some more really nice change yes so in the uhl they had a salary cap of two hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. right this is a minor league yeah Mm -hmm. so two hundred and seventy five thousand dollars for the whole team okay yeah that makes sense okay 
there was a $2 luxury tax for every dollar that was spent above this cap. And the trashers would report their salary to the league as required as being under $275,000. A rounding error. (laughs) Right? A rounding error. In reality, not so much. But keep this cap in mind, though, because it becomes super important later. Now, the FBI... Hi, Daddy. (laughs) They're getting super excited because this is a great opportunity for an undercover (gasps) operation. Oh, my God. Did they send in a hockey player? Not a hockey player. Okay. But they had people crawling over that rink. And the best part about being an FBI agent and having to do an undercover operation is naming the FBI operation. Oh, boy. And I really, really want this job. I think I would be good at it. This is actually high part. This is the job I want. Who names the different colors of paint? Mm, mm-hmm. That would be fun. The operation for this was codename Pale Rider. Okay. Which was a take on the 1985 Clint Eastwood movie Pale Rider, but spelled P-A-I-L as in garbage pail. Pale Rider. That's too clever. Yeah. Very, very clever. There's also like a poem, Behold a Pale Horse or something. And I read a book called Pale Rider and it was about the 1918 flu epidemic. So I wasn't quite sure where you're going with that name. (laughs) And there are some serious investigations going on while the trashers are just beginning, right? They're an infant team. And there was a shit ton of wiretapping going on all over the place, which is very interesting. However, we're going to take a minute to veer off and talk about hockey because I love hockey. So this was really AJ's time to shine. He has this opportunity to build a hockey team. Mm -hmm. he's 17 he's young he's cocksure so he really needed some help with putting this team together so aj was thinking and he came up with his middle school hockey coach who had a wealth of knowledge about hockey and had also been an equipment manager for three different minor league teams during his career okay in the documentary AJ reminisces about this guy, and his name is Tommy T-Bone Pompicello. (laughs) T-Bone. And AJ says, quote, I remember this big guy on the ice taking the puck from us and checking sixth and seventh graders into the boards, unquote. (laughs) Well, that can't be that hard. (laughs) During his interview in this documentary, Tommy said, quote, Did I check kids into the boards (laughs) when I was coaching them? Absolutely. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. Oh, my God. (laughs) All right, Tommy T-Bone. Just gives you kind of a mental image. I am picturing him really well right now. Tommy was much, much more than just an equipment manager for the Treasures. He was also a recruiter, a promoter, and essentially AJ's right-hand man. For a very quick timeout... I did do mafia names <laughs> in a mafia name generator for shits and giggles. Cause why oh, not? God, yes. So, Andrew, you are the shiv. Okay. Well, you're the Hannah, enforcer. Uh-huh. You're trigger, and you're the boss. Fuck yeah. Sarah, who unfortunately is not here with us tonight, she's sweet lips. 
<laughs> and she's a mob wife. Well, she can get a drink for free in any bar she walks into, so. She can walk into mine because I got Smiley, the bar <laughs> owner. Oh. <laughs> so are we using those for the rest of the episode? We can. All right. Continue, Smiley. Okay. We're going to talk about some of the more notable players and their traits. And keep in mind that AJ's vision for the Trashers was the bad boys of hockey based on his love of professional wrestling and also the Mighty Ducks. He's still hanging on to the Mighty Ducks. That was very, very impactful. That was a turning point of his childhood. Mm -hmm. So AJ wanted a big name for the roster specifically to be the captain of the team and the starting center. There may not be a bigger name in hockey than Gretzky. Gretzky. No. Could it be? No. A great one? No. Nope. This is the next (laughs) best one. It's Wayne's little brother, Brent. Oh, so he did get a Gretzky at least. Mm -hmm. So still the name holds a lot of clout and Brent did play for the NHL for the Tampa Bay Lightning in the 93-94 season. And during the 2004-2005 season for the Danbury Trashers, he played 37 games with 13 goals and 25 assists. Not bad for his last professional game being like 10 years ago. So next up at the behest of Tommy was Brad Wingfield or winger or wingnut. He was referred to as both. Wingnut for sure. And Tommy showed AJ a picture of Brad. Brad was in an orange jumpsuit, standing proudly at six foot, 220 pounds. And Tommy boasted that Wingfield had recently beat the shit out of six corrections officers. <laughs> AJ's response was, I want him. <laughs> How did he get out of prison? I think he was just in county lockup. Okay. But he was out and Wingfield played right wing. And during the 2004-2005 season, he played 20 games with seven goals and four assists. And during the 2005-2006 season, he played 36 games with three goals and six assists. In the documentary, Wingfield listed off some of his previous hockey-related injuries, which I thought might be fun for the girls, (laughs) science and whatnot, because this dude's still standing. So he goes through. He has had 17 different surgeries. He has broke both of his legs, tibia and fibula. Spinal fractures of the ankles. Cracked vertebrae in his back. Hate it. Disintegrated discs. Bolting discs. Broken hands. Okay. I thought you said bolting discs. And like they're just like trying to run away or something. Might be. Honestly. (laughs) He's broken both of his hands in several places. He's had nine broken noses. The loss of his front teeth. I was going to ask about his teeth. Mm -hmm. Over 300 stitches to his face and a partially severed finger. Ew. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm sure you've all seen this, but there is that one video you can find on the web about when that goalie got slashed in the neck by a skate. And like, it's the the broadcast of it so the broadcasters are all like broadcasting all professional and then they're all like holy shit it's a crazy video yeah it's insane so overall you should know by now that hockey is not for pussies it is is just not so there you go yeah wingfield like many of the other players was given a ten thousand dollar cash signing bonus and then just as a bonus fact, Wingfield once logged 29 goals and 
576 penalty minutes in the same <laughs> season. Yeah, I can see him going to the penalty box a lot. Keep Wingfield in mind because we'll talk about him again. But up next, we have a minor league legend, David Beauregard or One-Eyed Willie. Oh, my God. One-Eyed Willie, you ask? Well, Beauregard was on track for the NHL and he was playing for St. Hyacinth's Lasers of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. When the high stick of an opponent found the gap in his visor and struck Beauregard's eye, he lost sight in his left eye immediately. And interestingly, the NHL prohibits the signing of a player who is blind in one eye from signing a contract. Oh, that's a bummer. It's sad. So Beauregard's NHL dream was over, but he was definitely not done playing hockey. Late in the 2005-2006 season, Beauregard actually left the Roanoke Vipers to play for the Trashers as their left-wing starter. And in his short tenure, he played 14 games with 8 goals and 9 assists. And you may ask, why the late transfer during that season? Well, it was some just cash, like a bag of cash. A bag of cash. (laughs) Yeah. That'll do it. And Jimmy did offer to pay him double Roanoke was paying him. Yeah. So again, keep that cap in mind. Yeah. And then during the first part of the 2005-2006 season, he was he had played 56 games with Roanoke with 33 goals and 43 assists. So, I mean, he's, he's a good hockey player. Even with one eye. Mm-hmm. Even with one eye. And then... Another great find for the Trashers was the Nigerian Nightmare, Ruman Nador. <laughs> That's a great nickname. He was the first Nigerian-born player for the NHL, and he played for the Buffalo Sabres, the New York Rangers, and the Atlanta Thrashers. Okay. He was born in Nigeria, but grew up in Hearst, Ontario, and Nador played defense for the Trashers in 2005-2006 season, playing 46 games with three goals and nine assists. And during the documentary, Nadir shares a story about how his parents didn't want him to play hockey, but instead to be a figure skater. Oh. He told his mom, quote, if I am doing figure skating, I am wearing hockey skates, end quote. (laughs) Next up, we had the Omichioli brothers, Mike and Drew. And these two are complete and total characters during the documentary you can definitely tell that they're brothers. They're constantly talking over each other, finishing each other's sentences. They're just the banter back and forth between these two is just hilarious. But these guys have been playing hockey since they were like itty bitty. And they both played for Providence College in Rhode Island. And they also played internationally in Italy for Asiago. Cheese? No, <laughs> hockey. <laughs> the Asiago Hockey Club. <laughs> So the really cool thing about these two is that because, number one, they're brothers, and then number two, they've been playing forever, they almost had like a sixth sense on the ice. So they always knew where each other were, and like they could communicate in this really weird way while playing. So... Pig Latin. Yeah. (laughs) The brothers played the 2000... 2005 season, Mike playing 61 games with 19 goals and 46 assists, and then Drew playing 66 games with 48 goals and 39 Damn, assists. Son. And I should mention that a pretty good goal statistic for a season for any player is about 20 goals. 
Yeah, so. they're kind of rare. Yeah, <laughs> and they're so fun. And then last but definitely not least was Mike Rupp or Rupper or Moose or Sasquatch, as he was more commonly oh, referred to. Oh, nice. Mike's a big dude at 6'5", 243 pounds, and he is also a damn fine hockey player. And he's played for teams like the Pittsburgh Penguins and the New York Rangers and the New Jersey Devils, where on January 13th of 2003, Rupp scored the winning goal and snagged the Stanley Cup for the Devils. Oh, wow. Right? Very impressive. So how did Jimmy and AJ score such a big name from the NHL? A bag of cash. In this case, allegedly that same bag of cash. And during the 2004-2005 NHL season, they had a labor lockout. So collective Uh, bargaining over the implementation of a salary cap had been widely unsuccessful. The lockout started on September 16th of 2004 and additional attempts to negotiate were made. But the NHL canceled what would have been their 88th season on February 5th of 2005. So they had nothing else to do. He ain't got nothing else to do. And in comes Jimmy with a giant bag of cash. Allegedly. Sure. Rupp would play 14 games with the Trashers with five goals and five assists. So I do want to talk a little bit about opening night on October 15th of 2004. So the energy was high. The atmosphere almost electric. And there was a lot of people there, including the mayor and a state senator. And thousands of, like, true blood and aspiring hockey fans <laughs> filled this new arena. And they all anticipated, like, this was just going to be fun. This was, like, one of the first kind of professional teams coming into Danbury. So I will also mention that hockey fans, some hockey fans are a bit crazy pants. I'll just put that out there. Again, AJ wanted the Trashers to be the bad boys. He also called them the evil empire of the UHL. And their mantra was, if we can't beat you, we'll at least beat you up. Good one. I don't like it, but well, yeah, I guess so. So what does it mean to be a bad boy of hockey? I've said it before, Hannah, you know this. Ah, uh, fuck. Bags of cash? No, gloves off. Oh, gloves off. Fuck. Yeah, I forgot it's about fight gloves time. off. fight time. Fight mm-hmm. time. So the Trashers took the ice while Guns N' Roses, Welcome to the Jungle, blared on the speakers. Appropriate. Mm-hmm. How original. <laughs> Just before game time, Wingfield, right? Let's, let's remember Wingfield. His cell phone rang, and it was Jimmy. Jimmy said, quote, the minute the puck drops, drop your gloves end quote so this was a huge motivator for wingfield he's he's like oh he's ready yeah yeah and he may already have been looking for a fight even without jimmy's call so when a player from the adirondack frostbite told him to go fuck himself <laughs> well wingfield had selected his first victim yeah not I murder mean- but you know makes sense though also the adirondack frostbite is a stupid name it is a stupid name. I kind of like it. Okay. Do you? <laughs> yeah. What 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 else would you put in there? Agree. Well, what would your character be? What's the name of that? I can't. Mascot. Know. What would your mascot but be? For you don't Frostbite? have to have a mascot that matches the team name. So would it just be a snowflake? It helps. 
Oh my god. <laughs> but I don't know what it would be. You could really have whatever you want. Like the Mariners have a moose. The Phillies have oh, that's a true. big They green have whatever thing. the fuck that is, yeah. Yeah, like I, I don't feel like mascots need to line up necessarily. Okay. What do they put on their jersey though? They gotta have some cool logo. Uh I don't know, black fingers. Haha. <laughs> ah, yes, that would be good. Or black toes. The black toes. I like <laughs> the black it. Black toes. Everyone wears black socks or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so puck drops within three seconds. Three seconds. There is blood on the ice and not just a little bit. Holy shit, man. The crowd. Fucking go Were they wild. shocked? Yes. They fucking lost their minds. And this would start this really, really like big fan club for the trashers because people are like, this is Fucking on fire. I love Especially it. Especially for like a minor league team. There used to be one in Fresno. And like, it, you go for fights. <laughs> it's a bonus. It's fun. It's part of the game. It is. And in the stands on opening night, looking less than amused was Richard Brozal. And he was the UHL commissioner. Oh, okay. His job was to, quote, make sure that no person thinks they are bigger than the league, end quote. Failing at your job, sir. Roselle would end up ejecting, suspending, and banning some of the players. I would hate to have his job, though, to be honest. Yeah. Fucking sucks. He actually seems like a pretty cool guy in the in the documentary. I think he just, you know, he's trying to do his job the best he could, but yeah. he had some shit to put up with. We'll get to that here in just a second. So, Roselle says, quote, fighting is a part of the game. Two fights, maybe. Three But eight, question mark, end quote. (laughs) The Trashers were definitely living up to their reputation, and some of the players' offenses included slashing, spearing, spitting, slew-footing, two-handed baseball swings at an opposing player, slamming an opposing player's head into the ice multiple times, and then attacking the other team's coach. Oh, Gotta go for the head if you want to take down the beast. Yeah. You should not be surprised to learn that Tommy T-Bone Pompasello was the only UHL equipment manager to be suspended. (laughs) No, I'm not. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. It is a hell of a drug. His offenses included hiding equipment, providing (laughs) one-ply paper towels. One-ply TP. (laughs) One-ply TP, yeah. Just like shit necessities of a locker room. And then what got him suspended actually was turning off the hot water in the opposing locker room. Yeah. As Tommy would put it, though, it was psychological warfare. Thanks, Tommy. Yeah. So Jimmy told the team, quote, if you give your best on the ice, I will give you the best out of life, end quote. And the trashers started to dominate the UHL. And the fans loved every single minute of it. Specifically, and this is funny, but specifically section 102. And I love this because my season hockey tickets are section 102 for the Seattle Thunderbirds. But we're not in the same area. So I've got corner seats that look at the goal But their section 102, which was where all their crazy fans were, was right behind the opposing team's (laughs) bench. Oh, nice. And these were the rowdiest, the most devout of the Trasher fans. 
and they would actually start this trend of bringing body bags to the arena or the barn and then drop them over the glass when an opposing player went down during a fight. Oh, God. It's a little brutal. It is, but they were having fun. Yeah, I mean. It's community involvement. I, You know, and like the, uh, what was he, the commissioner? If it was like maybe mm-hmm. two or three fights a, a game, sure, fine. But like eight body bags, it's a little excessive. <laughs> it's a lot to, to bring to a game. But Do again, you get them back? I don't know. Or that they're just recycled because Tommy is the equipment manager. So oh, he's yeah, pulling them off probably. the ice and handing uh, them back. Tommy's got it. What is this, episode 64? How much does a body bag count or cost? Uh, I don't know. Look. I mean, I guess if one of their one of the fans in section 102 is a mortician, they might get a discount. Body bag cost. <laughs> You're on the list now, Hannah. I was like, hi, Teddy. Uh, trigger, I mean. Ah, uh, yeah. Cadaver bags on Amazon. <laughs> you get a white one for twelve ninety nine, but you want to get the black one. That's the canonical body bag, and that one is fifty one forty nine. Oh, this one's twenty five bucks. Anti leakage, thirty four bucks. I'm not guessing these were probably like. We don't need them to be used. Real ones. I'd go with the twenty fiver. Okay. On December 4th of 2004, the Trashers faced off against the Kalamazoo Wings. This was a notable game, number one, because of a devastating injury, and then two, due to the fact that Jimmy was arrested for Uh, allegedly punching a zebra in the face. Oh! Near the end of the second period, the player from the Wings, his name was Elzinga, he had clipped Wingfield in the face, and Wingfield was looking to brawl, but Elzinga declined. Did he turtle? No, he did not turtle, but so he kind of like, because like the players, they have to agree to like fight, because yeah. they're not going to necessarily just start punching you. I mean, they might, but they're not going to like just start they might, like, but it gloves makes you, off. Yeah, it makes you, you look know, bad if you just start beating up on someone too. Like It's a larger mm-hmm. penalty that. Mm-hmm. No, that too. Even more negatively affects the team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you get two guys who are fighting, they both get off. Yeah. But if you're like an instigator or something like that, you're going to go a man down. So Elzinga like declines or it looks like he's declining this fight with Wingfield. And then Wingfield skates by him. Then Elzinga stuck out his leg and then grabbed the back of Winfield's jersey and pulled him down. So he was being a little bit of a bitch. Yeah. And it's a total dick move. Unfortunately for Wingfield, his skate caught. And as he dropped, he snapped his left tibia just Uh, above the ankle. Blah, blah, blah. Gross, Mm -hmm. gross, gross. Okay. They describe this as one of the most grotesque sounds that you could hear. And Wingfield sounded like an animal. Oh. Like a feral animal. He sounded like a feral animal to begin with, but yes. And the entire arena was silent. So clearly, like, everyone's just like, what the fuck just happened? So let's just say that things went from bad to worse after Wingfield was transported off the ice. Nadir, the Nigerian nightmare, he was (laughs) fucking pissed. And so he started taking out his aggression and his anger on any of the Kalamazoo players. So he ended up with a 20-game suspension 
because of how aggressive he was. And then Jimmy flew down from the owner's box and the owner isn't supposed to leave the box, but he flew down from the owner's box and he's cussing and he's singling out the referee, James Harper, due to the lack of a a penalty being called on Elzinga. And their debate continued into the Kalamazoo penalty box where Harper allegedly told Jimmy to go fuck yourself. And we know this is not a good theme for... Don't tell a trasher to go fuck themselves. So Jimmy allegedly cold clocked Harper in the face and he was arrested and then he also received a large fine from the UHL. I'm a little bit on the Trashers side for this one, though. The Trashers would go on to dominate this game, 5-3, to three, though, so there was that. And they were not able to obtain the coveted Colonial Cup during their two seasons, but they did play incredibly well. So 2004-2005, they had 44 wins, 20 losses. They had 265 goals with 243 surrenders. They lost in round two of the playoffs. And then the 2005-2006 season, they had 48 wins, 17 losses, 308 goals, and only 227 surrenders. And they lost actually in the league championship. That's what happens when you have bags of money to hand out. So we are done with Hockey Corner for now. We're going to go back to check in on our pals at the FBI and Operation Pale Horse because these guys have been hard at work. I'm going to go through this one kind of quickly, but there's a lot. So September 2005, multiple raids were conducted in Connecticut and New York focusing on, on 12 different trash hauling companies owned by Jimmy Galante. A federal grand jury requested documents from the Connecticut Resources Recovery Authority, which is the agency that oversees the state's trash and recycling industry. Similar requests were also being made in Putnam County, New York. So they're starting to get these documents, right? Mm -hmm. And after some not so light reading on (laughs) the part of the grand jury and prosecutors, I assume, March 14th of 2005, the UHL commissioner, Richard Brazell, was questioned by the grand jury about the league's interactions with Jimmy. Other areas of interest included, obviously, payroll and the salary (laughs) cap. Several other current and former trashers were questioned by the grand jury as well. And an FBI agent or forensic accountant or a combination of those two finally got the experience of a lifetime, like their moment of glory, right? (laughs) Forensic accounting. I know. There's not very many, but you got to have one. (laughs) This is actually my dream job. It takes a long time to get this degree. Maybe one day. So on April 26 of 2006, Joe Lestoco of J.R. Lestoco Carding admits to a conspiracy with other businesses to artificially raise trash collection rates and to stop aspiring competitors. In May of 2006, the FBI spills the beans that their actual target was Matthew, Maddie the Horse, Ionello. And so they're like, this is the guy that we want. We want this dude. And so it was alleged that Jimmy was being targeted right now because he had been paying a tax to Ionello in return for their support 
which could mean one of any of those 35 racketeering crimes. <laughs> yes, anything. So June 6th of 2006, the FBI agents execute search warrants at AWD. They took receipts and oddly or not oddly, as you would look at it, they actually took $900 in cash. That's a little Oh, maybe it's counterfeit fight i don't know it it didn't say i was like i'm not sure how that fits into the scope of the warrant but it may also have been lunchtime and they had a lot of people raiding this facility so (laughs) that's a bonus so that was june 6th right so june 8th of 2006 the grand jury indicts jimmy as well as 28 other people including but not limited to maddie the horse got him the Waterbury, Connecticut mayor, Joseph oh. Santropito? Santropito. And there are a few sources that would indicate that 72 counts were brought in the indictment against Jimmy and his friends. I found this indictment and was able to look at it. And there were like over 103. Oh, my God. Big net. <laughs> I mean, makes sense. This was a huge document and I skimmed it. I did not read like (laughs) verbatim because legal speak is so fucking hard to read. But essentially there were 13 violations under the United States Code 18 and then also United States Code 26. So we've got racketeering, the RICO conspiracy, Hobbs Act of Extortion, Mail Fraud, Wire Fraud, Attempt and Conspiracy to Commit Mail and Wire Fraud, Witness Tampering, Misuse of a Computer. <laughs> well, okay. now. Which, I mean, that could be a lot of things, honestly. But <laughs> interference with electronic surveillance, conspiracy, false statements on a tax filing, aiding or assisting a false tax return, and then criminal forfeiture were some of these code violations. And then there was 107 different counts. Jesus. And a count refers to the basis for which someone can be found guilty. So I really feel really, 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 really bad for the poor schmuck that had to sit there and like, because you have to read this shit out. Oh my God. So they had to go 107 times like that, 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 that. Anyways, I'm not going to go over all that. Like, do <laughs> nope, nope. Also during this time, the feds. They took over AWD and the other 25 companies that belonged to Jimmy, and it was considered the largest federal business takeover in Connecticut's history. So Jimmy was also taken into custody and held without bail. The 20 other people that were indicted were allowed to post bail and then released pending the charges, and additional people would end up being charged down the line in association with this larger case. So on June 12th of 2006, the UHL announces that the Trashers have suspended operations for the 2006-2007 season. So remember that salary cap? Uh Uh-huh. And those large bags of cash that were being handed out. Those are just signing bonuses. They don't count. Not on the salary cap. It's a bonus. Well... According to count 75 through 80 of the indictment titled Wire Fraud, Conspiracy, and Attempt, subsection 3, the scheme and artifice to defraud the UHL. Oh. 
UHL rules and regulations for the 2004-2005 regular season that the cap was not to exceed 275000 for the all players on their active roster. A violation of that salary cap would require them to remit that $2 per oh, every yeah. dollar mm-hmm, to the league, which would then be distributed equally among the teams that were not in violation of the salary cap. So in order to ensure compliance of the salary cap and also the housing and living allowances, the team had to submit these weekly salary reports and then a monthly housing and living allowance to the league. And these reports must be accurately representing remuneration of cash and goods or services. And so then falsely reporting these would be a breach of the UHL bylaws and can also result in a fine of up to $25,000 for the first offense and then a revocation of the team for the second offense and a potential forfeiture of future games. So furthermore, these reports were required to be signed off by the general manager, a coach, or another designee of the team. And during the 2004-2005 season, 30 salary reports and 12 housing living allowance reports were submitted to the league. So they've got some false documentation. (laughs) Players and spouses of the players were put on the payroll of Jimmy's various companies. Ah, smart. The players and the spouses provided no services to those companies, so they were just being paid with their checks, Board member. Mm-hmm. One of it Hannah's was... dream jobs again. Yeah, yeah. I'll do it. So, And it was done this way so that the payments would not be detected by the UHL. And for the 2004-2005 season, right, this is their inaugural season. Jimmy's already paid the $500,000 to purchase the franchise. And he's already spent like $3 million on renovations plus other things. So the actual estimate based on their documentation of all of these you know, forensic accounting reports was that the salary paid out that season was around $750,000. Well, and I'm guessing it was probably more than that. But based on the receipts and all of that, $750,000. So we are not a math podcast, as I said before, but we're going to do a little bit of math and I wrote it in here so I won't mess it up. They don't actually do it. Calculator for this. Okay, get your calculator. So $750,000 minus... Minus 275000 times two is $950,000. So that is what Jimmy should have paid to the league for his excess. Oh, right. For the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he definitely did not. He did not. So what this means is that Jimmy actually benefited from falsifying these documents because he avoided paying the UHL the money. And then he also could seek a higher percentage of skilled players, which would give them an advantage on the ice. So June 14, 2006, Jimmy's lawyer files court documents asking for the reconsideration of bail and also to unfreeze his assets to an extent to allow for his defense, which they granted. Okay, because the lawyer's like, I do want to get paid. They have to for your legal defense. That's yeah. like in, in the law somewhere. So on June 26 of 2006, Maddie the horse pleads not guilty during his arraignment, as do 17 other of the people indicted. 
on June 30th of 2006, Judge Byrne uh, does, does finally grant Jimmy's request for bail. It is set at $2 million with the following conditions. Jimmy is to remain confined to his house, the exception being medical reasons, emergencies, court appearances, and then it says other religious reasons, but it didn't really go into that a lot. I don't know if that's like church every Sunday or... Yeah. But he was also given the black ankle bracelet that everyone loves to wear. And then this is kind of where the cookies start to crumble because some of the other defendants, not like Maddie the horse, they were like, uh, give me a deal. Yeah, for fucking sure. That's why you get them all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... In the meantime, new charges were being brought against Jimmy and some other friends that had not been in this indictment. So June 2007, State Senator Louis DeLuca was arrested on a conspiracy to commit second degree threatening. This okay, is sure. I'm not mad about this one. So he asked Jimmy to threaten his granddaughter's husband. In this case, right, the senator thought that his granddaughter was being physically harmed by her husband and so he paid jimmy some money to go and you know dissuade him from a pass on that right i can too so deluca pleaded guilty and he received a six-month suspended sentence and he was ordered to pay a two thousand dollar fine and what i thought was actually pretty cool in this case was he was also made to pay a fifteen hundred dollar charitable contribution oh yeah that is nice And then October 12th of 2007, Jimmy is charged in state court for violating the political campaign finance laws as he reportedly donated well over what he should to DeLuca. Of course he did. And then the state senator, David Cappiello, and also the mayor of Danbury, Mark Boyton. We'll say that. It's probably wrong. June 3rd of 2008. Jimmy kind of bites the bullet, so to speak, and he decides that it's time to plead guilty to racketeering, conspiracy, and conspiracy to defraud the IRS, and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. And part of that wire fraud is those reports that were being transmitted to the league. Okay. So this plea deal would actually send him to prison for a minimum of 70 months, and which is about five, 5.8 years. I was like, did you do a, the math? Because I don't want to. I did. <laughs> about 5.8 years. Okay. And then a maximum of 87 months, which is just a little over seven years. Okay. On September 3rd of 2008, Judge Byrne sentenced Jemmy to the maximum of 87 months and a $100,000 criminal fine and a court order prohibiting him from future involvement in the trash hauling industry. Oh, so, I thought you were going to say hockey. No, <laughs> just the just trash hauling industry. Okay, so. fine. Bye-bye, trash empire. Okay, no more Sadly, As well as the team, because they were encompassed in, in all of this stuff. Yes. September 29th of 2008, Jimmy pled no contest in the Hartford Superior Court for the campaign contributions. And in that deal that he got, basically he's got a year, but it's going to be served concurrently with his federal sentence. So, you know, essentially nothing. Same difference. It's a loophole. Yep. And October 15th of 2008, Jimmy reports to the Allenwood Federal Correctional Institute in White Deer, Pennsylvania, 
where he would remain for basically his full sentence. I think it was wow. maybe a few days short, but I mean, essentially his whole his whole thing. So we almost never hear that. I know, right? So for this stupid crime, he has to do the whole thing. I know. Well, the government's mad because they didn't get their money. They are mad. And they're going to be more mad, let me tell you. So remember that the feds assumed control of Jimmy's businesses and they froze most of his assets. He was forced to forfeit his stake in AWD and all of the other businesses. And again, that was worth over $100 million. shit. In his plea agreement, Jimmy would be subject to reimbursement of $10.7 million upon the sale of the companies to a third party, right? Jimmy can't buy him back. Yeah, okay. But the feds have to give him back $10.7 million. <laughs> sure they love that. They coughed up $7.6 million. Oh, they didn't even pay the whole thing? Uh-uh. Those bastards. But Jimmy took them to court. I'm on Jimmy's side again. In April of 2014, after these claims and these, you know, these documents were filed that the government essentially violated his plea agreement, they did have to pay that additional $3.1 million. So, fuckers. Jimmy's getting out of jail, but he's also getting reimbursed for what they took from him. So, most people do not get this level of reimbursement. No. When they're getting out of jail. So in the documentary, Jimmy was asked about life after prison. And he said, quote, everyone in life has a hard luck story. And mostly they have more than one or two. I don't know. I know I do. I am a primary example. I came back running and sprinting. I didn't sit on my laurels. I didn't feel sorry for myself. It is what it is. Move on. End quote. Okay, fine. As should we, because I've been talking for quite some time. (laughs) You could say that because you got your $10 million. All right. That is the end of my case for you guys about Jimmy Galante and Rico charges and the Danbury Trashers. I was going to say you never mentioned the name of the Netflix show. It is called Untold Crime and Penalties. Ah, penalties. Yeah, I'll probably watch this for sure. And I'll put it on the website. You got to check out Tommy T-Bone Pompasello, man. Oh, God, I really when, do. When you were talking about him, you you guys have seen Dumb and Dumber. Mm-hmm. Yes. What popped into my mind was the guy that was trying to track them down. <gasps> yes. I don't have any memory of Dumb and Dumber, but I have seen The big seen guy. It. Yeah, the guy that... Uh, and he has to sit between them in the dog van. Yeah, the one with the old Like, I see it, but I don't yes. see it. But yes. it's fine. Yeah, personality-wise, I think, yes. Perfect. Physique-wise, no. Oh. (laughs) T-Bone's kind of built, we'll say. I thought that guy was kind of big. He was, like, throwing sixth graders into the boards. (laughs) He's, like, slender built, not heavy set built. Okay. Yeah. We'll say T-Bone's in shape. As I mentioned earlier, Jimmy is a Capricorn. Got some business sense. Oh, yeah. So I wanted to talk a little bit about some Capricorn traits that I think Jimmy kind of embodies. And then Hannah, you can chime in as well. So ambitious. Yes. (laughs) Hardworking. Yes. Enterprising. Yep. Capricorns are extremely driven. He's a better Capricorn than I am. Okay. He has ambitions. Fair. 
Capricorns are capable of setting lofty but obtainable goals. Yep. They are ambitious and they will always ensure that they give their very best to any task assigned to them. Yeah. And they will put their heart and soul into it. I feel like Hannah's just saying this because she's looking for jobs. <laughs> no, I would say not all tasks, but the tasks they want to do. Oh. Okay. But they they normally don't do things they don't want to do and they don't even get asked. Yeah. They're busy. But yeah. So any other fun Capricorn traits that you think would apply to Jimmy as our... As our resident Capricorn. Well, he was very... He had a lot of emotions towards his son. Mm-hmm. Which is more than I can say for most Capricorns to be that effusive about anybody. So he must have some more like fiery, like rising maybe. Okay. I don't think I would ever, ever tell a camera that something was the love of my life. (laughs) Ever in a million years. Even if it was my son. Because that's weird. He liked him too much. But (laughs) I feel like he liked him too much and he put a lot of pressure on AJ. I don't know if it was actually love or it was just like... Oh, I can see this little, this is more of a Capricorn thing. I see a little me. Watch the documentary and like see his facial. I'll have to watch it. Yeah. Just because when he talks about it, right, like you can see, I mean, you can see love in his eyes. Like, because he's talking about other stuff too. And he's like fucking hard and like no fucking nonsense. But like when it comes to. His family, though, he's like, I mean, he's he's a genuine family guy. So fuck you, Candace. No, because like during the documentary, you see her. Okay. It's just there's not information online. And I think they probably did it that okay. way specifically. I think yeah. they were protecting her a little bit more as their daughter. But so like he really he really was a family man. And, you know, I'm a mom. I've got, you know. I just, I don't know. I feel that immense love for my child. So, I mean, I I get it. I doubt he is a Capricorn sun, Capricorn moon, Virgo rising. (laughs) No. I'm thinking he's got to have, I want to say he's probably got a little Pisces in his chart because he is a little dreamy with some of his ambitions. And then That's true. And then he's kind of like fighty. So I would almost say Aries, maybe sag. I was going to go sag. Yeah. yeah. It took me a second to realize that's Sagittarius. Oh, it is. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what do you think his moon sign is, Andy? Well, maybe yield. Yield? I, I don't know signs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's the 13th sign. We don't talk about that one. Yield. I like it. <laughs> All right. So I do have a little bit of upcoming astrology for the week, but I, Hannah, you said you had some as well, so I'll let you you go first. Let's look at the week of July 4th through 10th. Anywho, July 4th, July 10th, fuck 4th of July. We're just going to skip over it completely and go on to July 5th, which is Tuesday. Yeah. Mars enters Taurus. Mars is an energy and passionate planet. And so when it goes into Taurus, it's actually going to calm down a little bit, which is a little unfortunate. We need this fire. We need to be mad. But Taurus is usually relatively calm until provoked, which then causes extreme stubbornness. We have been provoked. So feel free to be extremely stubborn. And looking a little less globally, it should be a more peaceful time. You're not roaring to fight everyone around you. But it's also a good time just to look in towards yourself. Is there something that you are stubbornly holding on to that you would be better off releasing that you could consider? 
Uh, also on July 5th, Mercury enters Cancer. So Mercury, our planet of communication, we're going away from Gemini into Cancer. So our communication is moving more from external and to more of an internal focus. Like we discussed last week, this new moon in Cancer is a time for self-reflection. And so this theme will carry on for the next few weeks. Take time to listen to yourself. A good practice during this time would be a daily journaling exercise where you just write whatever comes out and practice not judging yourself for whatever it is. And then on July 6th, the first quarter moon will be in Libra and square to the sun in Cancer. Those are both kind of feely signs, so square is kind of a hard one sometimes. What's going to be hard here is getting lost in other people's feelings and in your like want to empathize. Both Cancer and Libra really like to empathize with other people. They like to smooth stuff out for other people, but you need to keep a hold on yourself here. You can't, this is a double dose of feelings. Don't forget about yourself. You are also important. It's great to empathize, but you got to take care of yourself too. That's what I got. I think the only extra one that I had was on, and now I don't know if it's the fourth or the fifth, but Palace enters Gemini. Hey! Palace cat! Palace cat! What that means is, so Palace is an asteroid, and so when it's in Gemini, it just encourages us to be truth seekers and place a little bit of extra value on intelligence. Maybe I'll get a job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so actually it's supposed to be a more of a mellow-sounded week, July 4th through 10th. Yeah. And more of like an inward week than an outward week. But yeah. So I'll close this out real quick. Unless, Andy, you have anything you'd like to add to astrology or hockey and Rico statue? As far as astrology goes, all over my over my head still. <laughs> you guys seem to be really good about like giving out book ideas or, or things. Oh. So maybe I should check out your website, which has a picture of my dog. I'm sure it of does. it by now. It's definitely on there. I actually don't have my witchy bullshit shelf set up, but I should. Yeah, you probably should. I'll set that up because I do have a lot of great suggestions. So mm-hmm. for all these newbies like me who want to understand what you're saying but have no idea what you're saying, they might be able to follow along. As far as Rico goes, prior to this podcast, really my only knowledge of it was from reading a book writing with evil and it was an fbi agent who infiltrated the pagans motorcycle club oh that sounds interesting it was okay it was, it was a quick okay. read okay yeah with you know like mafia and motorcycle clubs are often charged with rico statues <laughs> in my research that i've been doing they're kind of like the number one focus for a lot of stuff also drug cartels but yeah, there's some pretty big cases in here. I chose to kind of keep it simple. This is a huge rabbit hole. I will say I will never, ever do a sports-themed one again because <laughs> do you know how much information there is about statistics? A oh, lot. And I love a statistics. Yeah. Oh, I think we only had two seasons. Right? <laughs> I did try to throw those in there. What I failed to mention is I also like put in like, um, not all of them, but I had their height and weight for some of them. These were oh, big yeah. boys. They were. And they were bruisers, man. Yeah. I'm going to say I probably would have been in Section 102. I think I would as well. I would have been having a great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely when you're listing some of these guys' weight. I mean, I, I don't know what the average is for an NHLer, but usually they're, they're a lot more 
I don't know if I want to say lanky, but trim for sure. Mm-hmm. Some there's some big guys. It sound like. Oh yeah, I mean they've got a couple you know smaller ones, but I mean these for the most part. Ooh, yeah, this is a big team. They're picked to fight, not to like skate super fast. They're but all, some they're of all them benders. are really good though. No, because uh, yeah. some of them are really good, especially <laughs> the brothers. Oh yeah, those yeah that that guy sounded really good. Let's see. So the average is about one ninety six, I guess, for a forward. Okay. Two hundred two for defense and two hundred for a goalie. Yeah, I was thinking around that two hundred mark. Mm-hmm. And so when you have like these two hundred forty six pound bruisers, I was like, ooh, big guys, big boys. It's not a physics podcast, but no. But I love hockey, and if you love hockey too. Please reach out and tell me how much you love hockey and who your favorite teams are. We are on Twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine, on Facebook, TCT Podcast. That's also got the link to our Discord, which I set up. And you can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com. And then check out our website, www.truecrimetrine.com. It's getting more updated. So come back and look at it again. And... I do have a quote, and we are going to end with Gordie Howe of the NHL. Quote, all hockey players are bilingual. They know English and profanity. End quote. Fair. But yeah, that's what I have for you. Hockey and Rico. This Woo! makes me want to watch hockey. You should really get into it. Don't bring any body bags. Anyways. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.